Good morning, folks. Whoa, can we throw that out? I'm like in a bucket. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Cornerstone. My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders. If you are here for the first time, can I give you a big, big welcome? And you have chosen to come on a great, great Sunday. As Paul said before, we've had a proper celebration. And what you've just... Boss, isn't it? What you've just heard? Yeah, boss means good. If you're not from Liverpool, boss means good, which is really, really exciting. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. And I, I want to read a few verses from here just to spend a little bit of time hearing from God's Word. <clears throat> and I pray it encourages us. Let's read. Verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? is? So the Son of Man was the name that Jesus used for himself. He would describe himself as the Son of, of Man. And that comes from the Old Testament, Daniel 7. And they said, his disciples said to him, some say you are John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, or you're one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me pray. Father, I ask that by your Spirit, you would stir our affections for Jesus. I ask that you would be made famous amongst us. I ask that you would do a great work for your glory's sake. Amen. What is the most important question that anybody has ever asked you? Or what do you think could be the most important question that anybody ever asks you? Maybe it's questions like this. Will you marry me? Or questions like, will you accept this offer? Or questions like, will you accept this job? Or what are you going to do with your life? Or where are you going to live? Or what school are your kids going to go to? Or who are you? And this year, it's raised up other questions, hasn't it, through what we've gone through. What does this all mean? Will you have the vaccine? Will you let your kids have the vaccine? Shall we turn the machine off? What is life all about? Folks, life is full of significant questions. Significant questions that require significant answers. See, the answer to questions like, will you marry me or shall we turn the machine off, have significant outcomes for those who have to answer those questions. Agree? Significant. And what we read here is the Lord Jesus asking his disciples a significant question. And the answer will bring for him, Peter, but not only him, everybody that is faced with that question throughout all of history will be faced with the outcomes of how they answer it. See, Jesus has been doing his ministry. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been engaging with people. Now, his disciples who were close followers of him and all those that are on the periphery had come, had come to a situation that they were convinced that there was something about Jesus. There was something about him that required their attention. They didn't fully understand, 
They didn't know all the details, but there was something about this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that demanded their attention. Now, not only the disciples, those on the periphery and those who were even trying to bring about things to destroy him, were intrigued by him. So when Jesus asks the question, who do the people say the Son of Man is, the disciples straight away don't answer it for themselves. They answer it regarding what they did. Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some say you are this person or you are like this person or you are this person. But what's interesting here, folks, is that Jesus turns his question and he looks directly at his disciples and he asks this question, who do you say that I am? Not everybody else. Who do you say that I am? Now, can I tell you this? This wasn't a 360-degree personality test. Jesus wasn't trying to find out what his purpose and what his meaning was. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out where he fitted in the team of Jesus and his disciples. He wasn't trying to figure out and have everybody to give their opinion. No, no. Jesus asked a significant question. Who do you say I am? A direct question that requires an answer. So this morning... Folks, I want to ask each and every one of you, whether you've been a Christian for time or you're not a believer and you're here to support a friend or you've just stumbled on this church, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? See, what's interesting that throughout all of Jesus' ministry, he makes lots of clear claims about himself. Lots of claims. Jesus said that, he was the bread of life. I am the bread of life. What he's saying then is that actually only in me will you find true satisfaction. Jesus said that he was the, the, the resurrection and the life. That in him only true life is found. And then only in him is true eternal life found. Jesus said that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, the question to who do you say that I am? The answer's on a smorgasbord of different opportunities. It's not, well, you're a good teacher, you're a good leader, you're a prophet, you're this, you're that. No, Jesus doesn't allow us to sit on the fence. In fact, there is no fence for us to sit on. It is a direct question that requires a direct answer. See, Jesus claims that who he is and what he says is truth. That's what he says about himself. Who I am and what I say is the truth. See, Jesus claims that who he is and what he says is relevant in a broken world, even today in 2021. What Jesus claims regarding who he is, what he says and what he promises is exclusive. There is no fence, folks. There is no take an option. There is no, at the end of the day, it all leads to the same place. No, the bottom line is this, and the question is this. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It is either Jesus is true or he's wrong. He's relevant or he's wrong. He's exclusive or he is wrong. Can I say this to you this morning to say that Jesus is one of the many ways to God is patronizing. Not to me, but to him. Because if you've read anything of the life and ministry of Jesus, he has made those claims 
very clear. Very, very clear. So I want to ask you this morning, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, please have the conviction and the courage to say what you truly think. See, the world that we're living in is people are terrified to truly say what they think. Terrified because of the repercussions. Terrified. So people end up saying what they think we want to hear or what their friends want to hear or the friend that you come with to support as they get dunked in a sort of hot jacuzzi without bubbles. Oh, that was lovely. That was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When inside you're like, oh my word, that is mad. Just like Paisley said. See, the reality is this. Let's not swallow the pill of our culture that says, I can't really say what I think because of the repercussions. I'm telling you now, folks, if you don't say what you think and get off the fence, you are in danger of consequences that come and are massive for you, not only for now, but for eternity. If you, blase, reject Jesus and not answer this question, so can I ask you, please, have the conviction and the courage to say what you think. Let's get on the level playing field with our friends. Let's get on that playing field so we can have those true discussions. But before maybe you come down on the side of a fence that says, he is wrong, can I encourage you to make much of what he claims? Can I ask you to ask those questions? Can I ask you to explore those things? Can I ask you to go and speak to the people that maybe you've come with and said, okay, when Jesus says this, what does he mean? Why is that? How is that penetrating in your life? When Jesus said that only true satisfaction is found in him, what does that mean for you? Show me, tell me, or open your eyes to see how the lives of your friends or your family have changed. Folks, can I say this? Intelligent people don't just write off clear claims like this. No, they look at them and they make bold decisions. So can I ask you, in light of the question, who do you think Jesus is? Have the courage and the conviction to make a decision. But please make that decision in light of you really exploring who he is. Who do you say he is? What's Peter's answer? Verse 16, what does he say? He says this, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. What does that mean? You are the one that we, Israel, are waiting to come and save us. You're the one that God said is the promised one, the anointed one, the one that was going to come and free us from the Romans, the one who was going to come and take his throne, the one who was going to bring about a kingdom and a city and a world that we all want to live in. You are the one that God speaks about. You are the one that the Old Testament points to. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the Christ. But he not only says that you are the Christ, he turns and he says, but you are the son of the living God. You're not only the one that God says is the one that's going to come and save us, but you are God himself. God stepped down into the brokenness. God who was put on flesh. God who is perfect, eternal, sinless creator. You who stepped into the brokenness of humanity to save buttered up broken people like you and me. That's what Peter says. You are the Christ and you are the son of the living God. See, can I say this, folks? Peter, whilst watching Jesus, whilst being with Jesus, whilst listening to what Jesus said, whilst seeing the impact that Jesus had on all the people that were around him, as he saw Jesus heal people, 
raised people from the dead, as he saw the impact of Jesus Christ on humanity, he came to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But can I say this? At this stage, he did not fully understand that. He totally didn't understand that. In fact, in a few verses time, he totally doubts Jesus. He totally tells Jesus that he's wrong, and Jesus calls him Satan. Let's call it what it is, all right? So if you think that you have to have it all boxed up, you have to have it all sorted, you have to have all the I's dotted, all the T's crosses, you, you have to know the ins and outs of everything that this book says in order for you to step in and go, yes, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Folks, can I tell you, can I tell you, you are missing it. You're missing it. Peter did not fully understand, but he knew that what Jesus said was real. Some of the testimonies that we've had this morning, where people are explaining, my soul has been awakened. Where people are ex explaining there was something, there's a peace and there's a, there's a, there's a feeling, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's something that's changing, there's a relationship. They're describing what Jesus is doing. They don't fully understand it. In fact, some of us might even be sitting out there and going, well, they never mentioned justification by faith alone. They never mentioned the imparting of the Holy Spirit. They never talked about the propitiation of the cross. They never talked about justification and sanctification. They never had clarity on what it was. All we need to know is that Jesus is who he says he is and believe that what he's done, he's done for them. That's it. Saw a wonderful video this week. Wonderful video of a pastor from America describing what it would have been like for the thief on the cross to get into heaven. See, he wouldn't have known any of those things that I've just described, like loads of us. And when asked, what are you doing here? He would have said this. The man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Amen. That's true for us. The man on the middle cross has said to every single one of us, you may not understand the ins and the outs, but I'm telling you, if you have faith in me, you can come. Amen? Amen. But what's really interesting, folks, is that Peter says, this is who you are. And then Jesus gives this response to his answer that, that shows the outcomes for Peter and the disciples, but also the outcomes us. And it gives us a little bit of clarity of what is going on in somebody's heart when they say, you are who you say you are. The first one is this. The coming to know Jesus is not a result of human effort, but it is the product of divine revelation. See, it's interesting. Verse 17, what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You have come to a understanding that I am who I say I am. Yes, to a certain point, but it's not been through your study. It's not been through your, you walking with me. It's not with you being the boss of all the disciples and being the hard guy and pushing everybody back. It's not because you're a bit brave and you're willing to say, no, you've come to realize who I am and understand who I am completely by God and his intervention and his doing. Folks, can I say this? All these people who are being baptized in the service, all these people who were baptized in the first service, all of you who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ and have put your faith in him, you have not found God. No, God found you. Amen. He found you. You think that you've searched him. Oh, my word, there he is. There he is. But for all of your life, 
And before your life, in fact, before the foundation of the world, God in his goodness and his kindness set his affection on you. Those being baptized, those of us who have been Christian for a long, long time, let us never forget that coming to know Jesus is not a result of our human efforts, but it is a product of divine revelation. And God will use all different means, all different ways. We've had people who come to know the Lord Jesus through, through dreams. We've come, people who've come to know the Lord Jesus through studying the Bible cover to cover. We've seen people come to know the Lord Jesus whilst reading the Bible in prison and nobody else sharing them. We've heard about people who've come to know Jesus because they ended up walking the dog with me. That was unfortunate, wasn't it, Freddie? And now Jesus got a grip of him and found him. All different means, all different ways that God will use and all different people, but they all come to the same point that they come to realize that he is the Christ and he is the son of the living God. And when I say all ways, folks, I'm not talking about all different religious paths. I'm talking God using all different people from his church to bring people to a knowledge of who Jesus is. It is not through human effort, but it is through the product of divine revelation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Folks, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals. Some of you work in hospitals. I've seen many, many dead bodies. Some of you have seen many, many dead bodies. Dead people are not raised through human intervention. And we had it read for us at the beginning of the service. We were dead in our sin, but we have been made alive in Christ. Lost people are only found by him. Blind people only have their eyes opened by him. Coming to know Jesus is not a result of human effort, but is a product of divine revelation. Number two, it is Jesus who builds his church, and he is still building his church. Did you see this? It says this, on this rock, I will build my church. It says, Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, folks, there has been a lot of ink spilt over this verse. A lot of ink spilt over this verse. And all understanding of who Peter is, what is the rock? What does that mean? What does that mean for history? What do we understand that to mean? Okay? And I'm not going to spend time doing that today. There are five sort of key areas that people think about. And I think there's a bit of truth in all of them. Okay? But my... Central conviction is what he is saying, what Jesus is saying is, is Peter. Peter, on confessions like this, on a confession of knowing that I am the Christ and I am the living God, I will build my church. I will build the church. Folks, I want to encourage us and remind us that the church of Jesus Christ is not built by any man or by any woman. It's built by him, the man, Jesus himself. He says there, I will build it. I will build it. I was interviewed this week for... So just something, uh, often I get asked a question about Cornerstone and what God's done and church planting and stuff like that. So they'll ask me, you know, tell, us, tell us, Steve, what, what's it been like? And this is always my answer. God has given me a front row seat to watch his son build his church. I get to sit on the front row. Paul gets to sit on the front row. The elders, they get to sit on the front row. Our wives, we get to sit on the front Others, we get to sit on the front rows of what God has been doing in our gospel communities. He gives us the privilege to be part of what he is doing. He is building his church. He's doing it. Folks, this past year has been brutal. Haven't it? No? Okay, just me. <laughs> brutal. In all different ways. For some of us, at one end of the spectrum, it's just been hard and a bit tedious. At others, it's been 
life-changing and it's been heartbreaking. Who'd have thought nearly 18 months ago when we as a church, when we as a church were told that unfortunately because of the pandemic and to care for others, we weren't able to meet. Can I say this? The first time in human history. Who'd have thought that nearly 18 months later, we'd be baptizing seven people this morning. One of the guys unfortunately has, isn't here, so there was meant to be eight. Four of those people, five of those people have come to know Jesus during lockdown. Unbelievable. Let us never, never, ever take that for granted. And folks, can I say this? We have been so blessed over the last 12 years. God has kindly shown to us the wonder of what it means for people to come to know him. Let us never take the fact that people are going to be baptized for granted. I remember growing up as a kid, I had the privilege of being part of a church where loads of people became Christians and loads of people got saved. And we'd have a queue of 30 people all wanting to get baptized on that day. And I as a kid was like, is there any chance I want to go home and watch Match of the Day? A genuine, because it was on in the afternoons. There was one game shown on a Sunday at 3 o'clock, and I wanted to get there. But there's a queue of people. Oh, what, we, what would we give to see that now, today? What would we give to see that week in, week out? But you know what God has done amongst Cornerstone Church is unbelievable, folks. The kindness of the stories of where people have been, had, uh, been at, and Jesus has saved them, and he's transformed their lives. And we've seen the difference in what God has done in the lives of people in Cornerstone. Can I say this? For those of you who are members, please never take it for granted. Please don't. Please be filled with a joy and a passion like what you see from me. What you see from Paul, you see from the guys singing. Please don't think, oh, another baptism, that's great. Let us, let us be quick, not quick to forget that only 15 years ago, we, uh, 12 years, we walked into a church building that hadn't seen baptisms for years. And by God's grace, we have seen across the whole of the Cornerstone Collective, well over, well over 100 people get, go through the waters of baptism. Well over hundreds of people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not take that for granted. And folks, I am not boasting in Cornerstone. I am boasting in Jesus who said, I will build my church. Even when you don't think I'll be able to, I will build it. And he's done it this year. And this is the fruit. Amen? Amen. It's Jesus who builds his church. And by God's grace, he is still building it both here and right across the world. And he's building his church, number three, not because of our victory, but because of his. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail it, prevail against it. Now what's interesting is, you have heard this said. Many of us would have heard this verse preached in a way that, it, that, that would say this, that the mandate of the church is for us as God's people is to move forward and push back darkness. We are to storm the gates of hell. See, gates never attacked anybody. Gates are to, to, to defend against certain things. So our job is to storm the gates of the Satan's lair and we are to move forward. The, the Satan is on the defense and we, the church, are on the offense. Now, I understand, folks, to some extent what that means. I understand why people teach this particular verse in that way. But the reality, the, the reality is this, that we are not called to storm the gates of hell. We are called to be a city on the hill, to live bright for Jesus. We are to seek to love, him, love people in and through his name. And in doing so, the love of Christ is seen. Darkness is therefore pushed back. But here, Jesus isn't talking about us storming the gates of hell. He, Jesus 
is making reference to how gates of hell have been used in the Old Testament, the old writings that all point to the Lord Jesus. And actually, the translation of gates of hell, which is the same in the Old Testament, make reference to, make reference to the transitioning from life to death. Let me read a few. Job 38. Somebody mentioned that they were reading Job. Was it you, Rachel? You know, straight in there, weren't you? Job. Straight in. You know what I mean? We've never preached Job here in 12 years. There's a reason for that. Now, we totally agree with it, but straight in. Bang. Well, this from Job. Job 38, 17. Have the gates of, have the gates of, and this is God speaking to Job. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of the darkness? In all your suffering, have the gates of death been revealed to you yet? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? And then in Isaiah 38, verse 10, King of Judah, Hezekiah, he was dying. He, and God hears this sort of cry for more years. He gives him more years. And this is what he said. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol, hell, Hades. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. So when Jesus is talking about the gates of hell, he's talking about the passage from life to death. See, folks, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, it's not a call for the church to move forward and conquer the devil and storm the gates of hell and all the effects. No, it is for us to take hold and understand the news and hope that the church of Jesus Christ will never be vanquished by death. That's what it is. The gates of hell will not prevail. The passage from life to death, to hell, is not there for those who are in Christ Jesus. I will build this church on the confession of those who recognize that I am the Christ and I am the son of the living God and the gates of hell will not prevail. The transition from life into hell, into death are not there for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, can I say this as the church? We are not called to invade and conquer. We're not. We're not called to redeem the streets. We're not. We don't need to invade. We don't need to, to conquer. We don't need to redeem. Because Jesus has done that already. He has done that already. Now, he is saying to Peter, I'm going to do this. But for us who are on this side of the cross and resurrection, we know that he has done it. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, and Believe me, I know some of you are going through what feels like hell now. Whatever happens, if you are in Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail and death will not vanquish you. We move forward in his victory, in his redemption, and we live out the ministry of a reconciliation let me tell you what Jesus has done for me and he can also do for you. Come back to him, know him. That's what we're called to do, folks. We see the church of Jesus Christ being built, not on our victory, but on his. And finally, number four, we are called to stand firm. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't really go there with this, but I'm, I'm, I want to give this point in light of what the Bible says it is to be the church. Further on, in the whole context. See, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. And what we know is that our call is not to storm the gates of hell, but rather our call is to stand firm in the victory that Jesus has won. 
and stand firm in the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against us as though those who are Christians. But I also want to remind each and every one of us, and in particular those who are being baptized, that the devil is not passive. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. That's what the battle for the Christian is. Ephesians 6 tells us that we are to put on the whole armor of God, that our wrestle isn't with flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the evil things of this world. And the devil will bombard you. He will bombard you with lies, with schemes to make you doubt, to tempt you to sin, to encourage you to walk away, especially when things are particularly hard. See, folks, if we think that being part of the church is always about conquering, breaking strongholds, moving forward, we will be exhausted, disillusioned, and despondent. If we think that's what it is. But if we know that the victory of our greatest enemy, death, has been won, and life eternal has been purchased for us, we are able to stand firm. And then together, as God's people, move forward in and through that victory for his glory. So for those of you being baptized, know that the gates of hell will not prevail. Paisley, whatever you're going through this week, I want you to know, because you're in Christ, that the gates of hell will not prevail. Steve, that's the same for you. Nathan, that's the same for you. Rachel, that's the same for you. Megs, that's the same for you. I want you guys to know that he will throw the kitchen sink at you. And I want to encourage you to stand firm, shoulder to shoulder, sometimes being carried by other people. Sometimes it will be for you to carry others. And we together will limp along, standing firm in the victory that Jesus has purchased. And his church will be built. His church will be built. And for those of us who aren't being baptized and those of us who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, whether you're part of Cornerstone or not, 1 Corinthians 15, right at the end, it says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, in light of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word, work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor, your work, your moving forward, your steadfastness. Paul is saying there, I want you to know that if it comes from the victory that is only found in Christ, what you do for him, you will not do in vain. Cornerstone Church, I want us to know that in a year where the first time in human history the church was told that they could not meet, Jesus has still built his church. Cornerstone, I want you to know that when the threat of, of death has become more tangible for us in the West, Jesus has still built his church. I want us to know when the Zoom meetings have become tedious, painful, tiring, hard, Jesus has still built his church. For some of us, we have sat in a room on our own, week in, week out, recording sermons, 
three days before we want to preach them. Totally disillusioned. Totally devastated that we've become TV presenters. Know this. Jesus has still built his church. Amen. Through all the pain, through all the suffering, through all the brokenness, through all the overwhelming mental health brokenness that you have experienced in your family and in your marriage and with your children. And you are, some of you I know, are walking through that now and actually don't even know if it's going to come through the way that you want it to come through. I want you guys to know this. Jesus is still building this church and you're part of that, mate. You're part of that. Jesus is still building his church. And folks, even though over this past 12 months, Marriages have broken. People have walked away. Some of us are carrying the pain of brokenness in relationships like never before. I want you to know that Jesus is still building his church. And today... He is kindly reminding us that our labor is not in vain. Amen? Kindly reminding us that he is building his church. Seven people being baptized, four of them coming to know the Lord Jesus during lockdown. One coming back to him in the midst of great pain and great suffering. And others who God has sustained for years to come. Cornerstone Church, can I remind you that he builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And for those of you who are not part of the church, those of you who actually don't know how you would answer the question, if Jesus asked you, who do you say that I am? Can I encourage you, please encourage you, to consider this answer. Your God. Your God that stepped out of heaven into the brokenness of this world. And you died in my place. You took what I deserved. And you're giving me peace and rest and the hope of eternal life and, and something more than this. Jesus, I want that. Jesus, I accept that. Please forgive me. Please help me. I put your trust in him. And you don't have to understand it all. And if today is your last day, and you stand in heaven, not at the gates of hell, but at the gates of heaven, and someone says, how come you're here? You can say this. The man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. But you know the interesting thing for us? That's not what we'll say. We'll say, See him there. See him there. He said, I can come because I have eternal life because he is life. And to know him is life eternal. Let's pray.